Hey tribe, welcome to episode two of the Hunt Success you, you, you. podcast. I'm Sean Massey. I'm Jamie Wilson. And this week we've got Darren Blakely on the podcast and he shares some huge, huge knowledge bombs about nutrition, training and business. So listen in. All right, cool. All right. Keep going. <laughs> so put your headphones on, guys. Take a seat. Listen in and enjoy. So welcome to the Hunt Success Podcast. Um, Absolutely delighted, excited for you to be here, Darren. Um, so yeah, I'd love to just hear sort of a two to five minute story from yourself on um, what you do for a living uh, and how you got to where you are today. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, my name, as you know, is Darren Blakely. I was born in in uh, Wellington, New Zealand. Um, yes. I yeah. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I um. I started, you know, when I was in, in, in school, I, I had this kind of dream one day. I don't know where it came from. I've thought about it a lot over the years, but, um, I really can't put my finger on where it came from. But I, I remember telling classmates that I was going to build bridges and roads, uh, pipelines in Southeast Asia. How bizarre is that? But I was telling people that when I was 14, 15 and I had, I had no real idea what Southeast Asia was or where it really was. I didn't really have a good idea of the geography of Australia where I actually ended up initially anyway. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so I, and then, uh, a year or two after that, I accepted a cadetship with a civil engineering firm in, in, uh, near Wellington and, and began doing that, which meant I worked full time and, and studied, uh, part time at night. Um, and then, uh, prior, I, I, I got a technician certificate. I didn't get all the way through the course. My girlfriend at that time got transferred to Sydney with her job. And so I went over there with her. I was keen to get out of New Zealand and, and see a bit of the world. So, uh, Sydney, I began working with an engineering company that had, uh, had ties to a, a business in, in Indonesia. And um, I got a, offered a job up there in Jakarta as a regional sales guy, and that got me traveling through um, uh, places like Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore, um, obviously Indonesia, and, and that was uh, that was very interesting. And I ended up in Singapore with another similar company. Um, and that was, uh, and that, that lasted, uh, for about a year. And, uh, I remember my boss, uh, who I had, uh, initially I was working for the, I was reporting directly to the CEO of this company. It's a $2 billion company. And then, uh, he got, uh, <coughs> he got removed by the board and I got a new boss and didn't get on with my boss. And he walked into my office in Singapore one afternoon <laughs> and I thought, wow, I thought you were supposed to be in the US and here you are <laughs> walking into my office in Singapore. This can't be good news. Um, and it wasn't, but, uh, you know, what it did was it, uh, you know, he, he said, listen, we're letting you go and these are the reasons. And, 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 you know, I obviously disagreed with them. And, but that was one of the times in my life where it was a, a real, uh, pivotal moment in terms of me determining that actually 
I don't want to be at the mercy of a company. <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather be standing on my own two feet and doing something uh, that I wanted to do on my terms. You know, it might not make me a millionaire, but it's more important for me to be, you know, uh, self-sufficient in terms of how I live my life. So. Um, I decided to start my own company. That first one didn't work so well. Um, and then through that process, I got studying and I did a master's in, in exercise and nutrition science. And that got me on the pathway of, I, I think, what really is my, you know, uh, my, my, my calling, I guess, if you like. And that is, uh, and being fitness, uh, a healthy lifestyle. And eventually that led me to starting a boot camp. Uh, I started the boot camp. We attracted a lot of members. We ended up with about a membership of, of about 300 in Singapore. And then we opened the gym. I got together with uh, uh, my uh, uh, my business partner, uh, James Forrester, who, who now runs UFIT in Singapore. And we opened a, a studio. Then we opened a CrossFit box uh, in Singapore. Um, we then opened another studio, another CrossFit box, and now we have a, uh, a, a rehab studio as well called the UFIT Clinic. And so we've got five locations in Singapore. And last year I turned 50 and, and it, I was enjoying what I was doing, but the, I, I was the majority shareholder in the business, but it, it was just time for me to, to, to get out of that business. And, and uh, I got a good, uh, um, uh, a good check uh, for most of my shares. I've retained uh, a shareholding in the business because I think it has a huge and stellar future and I want to still be a part of that in, in, in some form. Um, but I got a nice check and decided, okay, I'm going to go to uh, Phuket, which I've always loved, and, and spend some time there and reevaluate what I'm doing uh, for the second 50 years. And um, I, uh, yeah, and, and uh, so. And over the first uh, eight or nine months, I had did a lot of thinking, had a lot of time to myself, uh, which was a very unique thing for me, uh, bearing in mind what had happened for the previous five years. And 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 it's crystallised uh, a few ideas, and and uh, and now I've got a, a number of options, and I'm just looking at uh, get, dipping my toe into a couple of different waters and and seeing how that goes. So uh, that's where I am right now. Yeah, awesome. Because I think I think this is a perfect second podcast coming from where we were last week with Fernando, who's only twenty three, and he's kind of realised, you know, in such a short amount of time what he wants to do and what he's passionate about. And I think your story is a much more linear progression and one that a lot of people can relate to. They might have a job for ten, twenty years before they even realise, hey, I don't like this. What else can I be doing? What am I passionate about? I don't need to be, you know, working for someone else for the for the rest of my life until um, I'm sixty, just to retire and enjoy those last twenty years. Yeah, you know, I I think that there's I get a feeling, you know, social media is such a wonderful tool that we all use, and and you get to you get to see so many different stories of how people are doing things in other parts of the world and other other cultures, but you do see. A movement away from this jobs for life kind of thing that you know uh, I know Sean you uh, and Michael and and 
you know, I come from Michael's generation and, and uh, our parents, you know, they, they were striving for jobs for life. I mean, that's what they were doing and, and exactly what you guys are talking about. They, and I'm still trying to work out, uh, Sean and Sean's voice and Jamie's voice. So I'm, <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, they, um, they were, yeah, it was, it was a job for life and, and they would do exactly what you said. They would work until they were 60, 65 and then, and then in the twilight of their life, they had some freedom and some time to their own. And, and, and I think we're all realizing now that's, that's a preposterous situation. It, 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 it's not a life. It's a work, you know, when I, so. Yeah, how did you spend your work? Well, I was, I spent my work sitting at a desk for 50, you know, for, you know, 30, 40 years. And, and man, yeah, that's, it's, as I say, I think it's preposterous. And as they reckon, uh, this is Jamie here, by the way, Darren. Thanks, Jamie. Um, so, you know, a, a good uh, master trainer, a self development, well known person that um, I absolutely love, uh, David T. S. Wood. He says that there are there's there's two things that gets people from that mindset of working uh, for someone else and working a job for most of their life. And there's two things that seems to come up that changes that. And it's either what happened with you, obviously, where you were let go. Um, desperation or inspiration so i really feel that it was sort of you know obviously desperation was there from uh, losing your job uh, losing a position but then you were i guess inspired to then follow your dreams um, so yeah it's awesome yeah and uh, I, I i yeah i agree with that that's an interesting um way of looking at the situation and i, I think these days also the really good thing is that when people lose jobs, they tend to lose them with a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of a uh, golden handshake, and and that little golden handshake can uh, give you that kind of space and that and that and that period of time to sit down and and evaluate. And it, I, I kind of got that, you know, with Ufit, you know, even though it was a, a really decent golden handshake. Um, and on my terms, uh, and I've been able to spend that time and evaluate and, and, uh, and I think that's these days that pe people, you know, as I say, our, our modern lives are full of inspirational stuff. You only have to go on to the YouTube or, or Facebook and, and look for inspirational stories and, 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 they're all there, and so yes, there's no lack of inspiration these days, and we and we've increasingly got the means to be able to pursue these um, the these lifestyle choices. Yeah. And um, it's Jamie here again, and I know that uh, we've got a lot of people listening to our podcast, and a lot of friends of ours that are into the fitness industry, or they're athletes, and all those sort of things. And a lot of them are looking for startup uh, gyms, or they're looking to uh, help people with fitness and health. What was it for you that you really feel maybe two or three things that helped you become successful with UFIT? I think, you know, I'm, I'm uh, getting into this uh, neuro-linguistic programming, this NLP stuff at the moment. I've done the, the, the practitioner course. In fact, tomorrow I fly to Bangkok and, and do the eight-day master practitioner course. And NLP talks about higher purpose, determining and, and chunking up and determining what your higher purpose in life is. And, and without really realizing that's what I was doing when I, when I got into the boot camps and, and to fitness, you know, my higher purpose is to, to, to help people achieve their fitness and health goals. I try to live a, 
a healthy, uh, a fit and healthy lifestyle. That's what I try and do, and and I'm pretty successful at it. I'm not a, I'm not perfect at it, and but I'm always striving to be better. Um, and that was definitely one of the things that inspired me to to get into and start you fit uh, being the healthy lifestyle and and just this kind of thing inside me that wants to help people I, I i'm i like to talk to people i like to find out their stories i like to find out what what you know what what problems they might have in their lives and 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 because i'm a i think i'm almost a natural born problem solver i like i i you know, I, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's very much a cliche, but there are no problems, only solutions. And, and, uh, and in, in, uh, in NLP again, there's no, uh, failure, only feedback. And, and that, that is something that without even knowing what NLP was, I've been kind of like practicing those, uh, uh, those concepts uh, through my life. And so, yeah, problem solving, helping people achieve their goals. They, they were all things that I used to, to, when I began the UFIT journey, but primarily, um, you know, to, uh, looking at uh, uh, UFIT and, and what I was doing, I wanted to obviously help people reach their goals, but I wanted to do it in a way that was unique. And so I see a lot of things in the fitness industry even today, which are pretty vanilla, you know, there's not, um, there's not really anything out there that, that, uh, is that unique. Um, and if it is unique, it's a gadget and, and, and gadgets, you know, I, you know, it's uh, health and fitness are pretty simple things, you know, we don't need to overcomplicate them, you know, and, and all these kind of gadgets that people introduce, this is the new, tummy fat burner or this, <laughs> this is the new, you know, bicep builder or, you know, it's it's really um, fit, health and fitness should be more than that. Now, there's more than that. So, in terms of UFIT, we um, I wanted to keep it uh, our boot camp uh, in the earlier days in 2008. I wanted to keep it uh, very functional. I know it's a sexy word, overused word, but you know, body weight stuff and dynamic body weight stuff and and plyometric type stuff. That that was the, really the basis of of uh, the UFIT boot camp, but there needed to be a USP, and I've talked about gadgets. There are things called flex bands, and I'm sure you guys are yeah. aware of them. And 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 back in those days, uh, back in in 0708, there was really only one company in Singapore that was using flex bands, and it happened to be the gym where I had my personal training business. And so this this was a really it was a, it was an awesome gym. A guy called Peter Rouse, who now is in the US. Uh, with a with a gym in Los Angeles, he he, uh, he he had he had like hundreds hundreds of these bands, and and I and I walked in one, and and he didn't have any treadmills in his gym either, and and I was had a, and I was a traditional personal trainer, and I walked in there, and I wanted to know where the treadmills was, and he said we don't have them, mate, because we can do cardio in far more interesting ways than using a treadmill, and and so. We had a conversation that that lasted several months, and it was an interesting conversation. and And I discovered the uh, the flex bands, and I was looking at these flex bands, and I was pondering, okay, so I'm a personal trainer. I want to get into boot camps, but I don't want to 
have a, a vanilla boot camp, you know, the, the traditional Aussie style boot camps, which you know, even now I look back to Australia and I see boot camps out there and I just see the same, same old stuff and different people yelling at, uh, at the groups and different tones of voices and, and, uh, but you know, pretty, uh, pretty standard stuff. And, and, and so I saw these bands and I thought, you know what? If we took these bands out of the gym and took them into the park and used them for, resistance you know you you can stand inside a, a flex band and do a, a squat to overhead press you can do just a squat you can um you can get the band over your shoulders and do resisted push-ups you can get a partner and loop it around your partner's waist and do resisted sprints and we were doing this stuff uh in 2008 2009 before a lot of people had even heard about flex bands and so we had this real unique selling point to our boot camp at that time and and people saw it and even though they thought it was a bit different maybe even a bit odd they were prepared to give it a go and aligned to that we also use the NASM National Academy of Sports Medicine who and along NASM and ACSM I think are two of the very uh, high standard uh, qualifications out of the US um in terms of uh, 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 training methodologies. And NASM has this uh, very interesting uh, blueprint for session planning. And one of the things that I was big on early in the day was that we had to have uh, a written session plan for every session. And they had to, it, once, you, once you had a, a core group of people that you could identify, and going back to Andrew Prentice at uh, Secret Harbor there, he was one of those guys and his wife, Sam. And, and once you had this core group, you, you, you were always looking to get that group um, uh, performing better, and but also in a in a in a, in a safe way. So the the NASM framework with the mobility work, especially in in the warm up process and doing the um, uh, speed and power movements early in in the session, and then uh, then the and then the um, uh, strength training stuff uh, towards uh, in the middle part of the session. Um, finishing with the cardio endurance towards the end. That kind of blueprint, that framework was something that I was strong on. And as we developed the program and we got more clients in and I had to hire more coaches, it was something that I drummed into the guys that this is the way we have to approach it. And you need to identify and uh, need to identify the group and whether it's a more advanced group or and so what we also did was we introduced green, blue, black, which is the, the ski runs in the U.S., uh, green being the easier, blue more advanced, and black being the super advanced uh, ski runs. And we, we used that, that coding for our, our groups. And so in a very simple way, uh, a very simple explanation of those, um, if we were doing a push-up, um, jump, squat, um, sprint kind of um, uh exercise uh, green would do 10 push-ups and 10 squat jumps and, and, a, and a 20 meter sprint and, and blue would do 15 of each and a 30 meter sprint and black would do 20 of each and a, and a, and a 40 meter sprint and, and you know that, that they would have to do those uh, in, a, in a set period of time and they would get a recovery before they did it three times and so we had this kind of, there were certain USPs that we brought to the business early in the piece being the the green, blue, black, um, the flex bands, uh, and the NASM uh, framework. So, um, you know, right off the bat, I wanted to have something that differentiated my business from other boot camps. So people said to me, so why would I come to your boot camp and not go to the other boot camp over there or the other boot camp over there? I would say because of these three USPs. Yeah, wow. And for people who don't know what a USP is, that's a unique 
selling point. So that's what was differentiating, differentiating UFIT from its competitors. Now, as the company was growing, and you even see this a lot now in the fitness industry, there's a lot of competition. It's a saturated market. There's not only do you have competition, but you have copycats as well. So when you had these bands that were coming out, they're obviously becoming more popular. Did you find your competitors started using them? And how did you stay competitive in that market as your business grew and as obviously the fitness industry grew as well? Yeah, the remarkable thing about the bands, uh, especially the bands, excuse me, was that um, only one of our competitors initially began using them uh, as well, and, and they were using tubes. And, and the tubes, of course, uh, you know, don't offer the same kind of resist- resistance as the, uh, as the bands. So they weren't uh, – I, I didn't think the implementation of those – uh, was particularly successful for them. And then looking around at some of the other uh, competitors, they also weren't adopting the band. Singapore is a really interesting market, guys. It's, it's you know, it, it, it's, a very, it's unique in so many ways. I, uh, and and it, that market, Singapore, is unique in so many ways. And so um, – not having people copy us didn't surprise me that much because they're set in their ways and they do what they want to do. And if it doesn't work, then they just close it down and start do something else. But in in a place like uh, Australia, um, I would have thought that if you brought the bands in and started doing that, and I'm unaware of any boot camps in, in Oz who are using bands in any great way, um, I would think the copy would happen pretty quickly. Um and, uh, and you'd have to, um, you'd have to be smart on how you manage to, to deal with that threat. But uh, above and beyond, uh, bands or, uh, session program, session planning or having different levels for different capabilities within the group, I think most importantly that when it comes to a boot camp or a fitness business or really any business, it's creating a sense of community that really, uh, really is what the business should be about. It should be the driving force uh, behind the business, should be creating the sense of community. And so people want to turn up every day or every other day, whatever the schedule might be, because they've got mates and, f- and friends that they want to hang out with, they want to, you know, get stuck into some training with, and then they want to have a coffee with afterwards to reduce afterwards, or, or they want to meet them up on a, with them on a Friday or Saturday night. And one of the really heartwarming things for me about UFIT was we most definitely created that community, which is strong and thriving, uh, and, and until today. Um, and, you know, and again, with social media, Facebook, I've got a lot of friends who, who are clients of the business and I see posts of dinners or, and other events, even marriages um, um, that involve members of the community. And, and you know, it, as I say, it's a really heartwarming thing to sit back and go, you know what, you know, I started all that. You know, that that's all been created because I – was able to set up a framework that uh, enabled the community to, to uh, be established and, and thrive. And, and uh, you know, I still, even today, when I go back to Singapore, I, I meet people and they 
and they thank me for that. And uh, so that's, you know, in terms of a higher purpose, it, it certainly um, um, is, is in addition to the fact that I wanted to help people and meet their goals and et cetera. But I've also done, you know, help create this community as well. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, Darren. It's Jamie here. And um, that was probably the one thing I wanted you to actually bring up. And I knew you would eventually because that to me is number one for sure. Um, you know, when I was, uh, I started a place called The Locker and that was a part of um, a big gym, uh, you know, a big gym in Port Kennedy here in Australia. And, you know, I built it up to, you know, like I said, about 280 people, um, clients, friends coming through. And this was before we had a rigs, this is before we had a lot of equipment. This was just doing the best that I could with the equipment that we had at that time. Um, and we had such an awesome community. We had team nights out. We had in, uh, you know, uh, inner gym competitions and we had like a board of who was doing well and it was very motivating. It was all about helping each other. It was all about warming up together. How's everyone feeling? What is everyone's goals? Um, and working together to get towards those goals. Not There was no individuality throughout the gym um, at all. Um, and that was what really grew it to what it uh, became. And I do, same as you, I get people still, you know, I left over a year ago now and get messages just like, um, I just want to say thank you and I just want to say, um, you know, how are you and what have you been up to? And um, we need to do like a, a locker gathering and an old school workout and we need to get everyone back together because I just can't get out of my mind um, how that was uh, because mm. it, was so, it was so awesome. Uh, so, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's great, mate. I mean, we, as human beings, we, we, we tend to want to flock in groups. I mean, it, it, it's not everybody. I mean, I think we all enjoy our own space and our own time and different people need more of their own space and their own time than others. But I think generally we all love to be part of a group um, with you know, common ideals and, and a, a fitness community um, ticks a lot of boxes for people. And, and if you can get the right kind of uh, flavor, the, the right kind of um, components together, then you'll hit a winning formula. The locker, that sounds pretty cool, Jamie. I, I uh, so, okay, so I know this is really about me and my journey, but I'm really interested to know a little bit more about the locker. It sounds, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was. It was a great, uh, it was something I came up with. Uh, I still wear my hoodies in the mornings now when I do my own cardio because it just inspires me and lifts me and reminds me of what, uh, what it was created. It was now, uh, it was then turned into the, uh, you know, because um, I'm happy that there's some beautiful friends of mine that are still going there and it's a, it's a wicked environment and it's now the CrossFit Superbox. Um, oh, wow. So it's now a CrossFit gym. Um, but yeah, it was an absolutely awesome place. Uh, it was back then, it was just a lot of banded stuff. We did the best that we could with plates and bars and it was more about just pushing each other and it was very much boot camp orientated and body weight workouts with a little bit of strength and conditioning mixed in there as well and a little bit of CrossFit. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it was really, really good. And um, at the end of the day, I just I know that if a business owner of any type at all focuses more on the people, focuses more on inspiring and lifting, money comes. But so many people out there focus on the money focus on numbers, focus on all that stuff. They focus They focus on the how and the what instead of the why. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, yeah. It's a very, it's a, oh, mate, it's a, it's a, a very valid point. I mean, it, it is, there is a, I mean, if you don't, uh, you said focus, and I agree with you. You, you. you do need to focus, I agree entirely, on on why you're doing it. And, and you know, the, the bigger picture, the community building, and, and what, what things, what pieces do you put into the jigsaw that create that community? However, it, it is, there has been a lot of instances you know, a number of instances over the years where people have got a great business and they focus entirely on the business and the people and the clients and everything else, but don't focus enough on the money and making sure they are a profitable business and making sure that they uh, are not spiraling costs. And and it is a mistake that businesses have made. And, and you know, made... I'm not sitting here saying that I am the guru and I know all the answers because I don't, you know, and I'm always learning. And you, I'm, I'm making, I still make mistakes and, and learning from those mistakes. And, and uh, again, as, you know, as NLP says, you know, there's no failure, only um, uh, lessons, only. Uh, um, uh, oh goodness! Growth, gone, but, I guess you could say growth. Yeah, <laughs> what does NLP say? I've got it written down there. Anyway, but <laughs> but so so yeah. So yeah. it oh, is important. Yeah. It, it really is important. It is important, especially when you're starting out in yes. business. That yep. that you and one of the things we did at UFIT, and, and, and actually I'm writing a book, and, and uh, the the book is really about the UFIT journey. But it is more than that. It's about my life journey and, and lessons that my 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 father. Passed passed on to me and and other pe- other key people in my life uh, um, um, have passed on to me. We you know we 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 made some uh, big errors in the early days in youth. Or you know and and I always said to the guys. I mean now the staff we got staff we got staff of uh, I believe 50, 55, 60 full-time staff at UFIT now and but early on there was a handful of us and and I said to the, and you know decisions were primarily made by me and and if I made a mistake I put my hand up and and said look guys I'm sorry but I, I made a mistake there and one of the bigger biggest mistakes I made and fortunately we survived it was not really paying enough attention to our accounts and putting in place a proper accounting software early enough we were relying on a on Excel spreadsheets and, and our uh, our online checking system, and and it became pretty apparent early on that we were heading for doom, and unless we changed that, and so we got uh, uh, a proper accounting software, and then we got a part time accountant in, and and and, and now we have a full time accountant. So um, it, you know there are mistakes that can be made, and and um, unless you do pay attention to those administration tasks and have and have people uh, or at least you, you yourself have acquired the skill set to be able to, 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 to take on those tasks, those admin tasks, you can fall into a bit of a – because a lot of us, business people tend to be uh, very entrepreneurial and, and very uh, driven and, and bigger picture uh, individuals. 
um, and 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 to, to to launch a business and to have the vision and 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 to think you know a year two three years ahead um, uh, probably means that you don't have um, great uh, micromanagement skills uh, and and you need people to to jump in and, and to do some of the stuff for you um, and uh, you need that to happen um, you know once you're having a bit of success and you can see the business building you need to make sure that you have those uh, I's dotted and those T's crossed. And I think a lot of people can relate to that I mean I've watched my father start multiple businesses from scratch you know uh, not all of them successful and even the successful ones when you do have that good quality system in place and the right people there there's still all that work to do and even for a lot of people just filing your tax return is a daunting thing let alone running the finances for a company and I'd say um, obviously you learnt a lot in those first few years about that kind of thing and you do have that entrepreneurial vision that big picture um, looking you know into the future what you want to achieve what your goals are for the company how did you decide that it was time to grow UFIT beyond the boot camp and go into opening the CrossFit gyms and the rehabilitation clinics and so on? Were you looking to expand that community feeling or did you want to expand the training that you're offering into more of a strength and conditioning uh, style facility? What were, the, uh, what were your thoughts in moving forward with that? Yes, yeah, that's, a, that's a really good question, mate. I, I, we, what happened was when we got to that kind of 300 number in boot camp, I realized, and, and what had happened, when we got to, even when we got to 100, we had you know, 15 to 20 personal training clients. And I had uh, my first hire was a young chap called Dean Ahmad who, who is still with UFIT today and he's a, a shareholder in the business. and. Is a young fellow. I think he's just. I think he might be thirty-two now or uh, thirty-one. So he's still a young fellow. Um, and I hired him. I met him through Peter Rouse's uh, gym that I referenced earlier. And he uh, he was a uh, he is a great young guy, very talented uh, trainer. And he said to me, uh, "Daz, I'm getting a bit swamped." And now we're at one hundred and fifty or two hundred people. And uh, so we hired his brother, who had just come back from the U.S., and uh, and we also had a, a, a young uh, Singaporean girl, uh, Selena, and she was with us doing personal training as well. So I, it, it, we got to a point where okay, we need our own space. So we got into we got into our, our own space, and we 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 knew that we needed to have a functional space. We didn't need treadmills. We needed to have bars. Um, that we could do pull-ups on and we could string TRXs from and um, um, maybe one day do mu- mu- muscle-ups on, but that was uh, that was a bit further ahead in time. And we needed to have a, a lifting platform or two and we needed to have kettlebells and we needed to have a space for people to use bands. And uh, and so that's the kind of space that we created at, uh, at UFIT. And as we got... As the life cycle of business uh, progressed, uh, we hired a chap one day who came into the studio, and he had uh, and he had a CrossFit qualification. And we'd known, like I'd known about CrossFit, obviously, and uh, Glassman in two thousand one. In fact, funny story was that I actually came up with 
uh, UFIT, uh, originally I wanted to call it CrossFit because, because I thought that sounded like a cool name. And then I was t- telling people about this new name I'd uh, come up with. And it was around about the same time as Glassman registered CrossFit back in the early 2000, 2001, 2000, 2001. And someone said to me, no, 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 there's a business in the US that's already got CrossFit. And I said, oh, no, there's not. And so I checked it out. And of course, yes, there was. And, and, um, so, oops, I can't use CrossFit. And so, uh, um, but anyway, so we, we, well, I'd known about CrossFit for, obviously for many years and, and, uh, we hired this chap and he was a CrossFit coach and he was doing stuff in, on the studio floor with his clients. And I was looking at this stuff thinking, this is interesting. And then I began doing some research and I came across some of the horror stories of CrossFit that were around in the earlier days, you know, and the, uh, the, the CrossFit fail YouTube videos and, um, you know, and then, and, and, you know, from a phys, like I have a, I, I have a master's in exercise and nutrition science. And so I, I've got a bit of physiology, uh, a bit of a physiology skill set. And, you know, Olympic lifts are, you know, if you're at the Olympic Games and you're doing a clean and jerk, you, you know, in comp, in, in training, you're doing a lot of clean and jerks, but you're, but you're working on form. And you're looking for a, a maximal lift uh, once, twice, three or four times in competition at the most. When you start maxing out heavy Olympic lifts in high vo- volume, um, the central nervous system behaves differently to how it would do if it, if you were just doing single lifts in practice looking to go to a uh, Olympic lifting competition. You know what I'm saying? So um, there have been some fairly serious injuries to athletes who overwork uh, their CNS, in particular, the central nervous system in particular. And, you know, the repetition on, on joints as well. I mean, I, I would struggle. I would think that if you're a and, – and I know – I, I, we, our CrossFit Booker team had just got 20th at the Pacific Regionals in Wollongong. Um, our, our guys, uh, awesome. yeah, they got 20th. They got up to 15th after day two, I think, or 17th after day two and ended up 20th, uh, which, you know, which uh, from 40 or 39 teams ended up uh, in the comp. Um, so we are very proud of what they, they did down there. And, and so I know a number of very good uh, high-level CrossFit athletes and Managing injuries is part and parcel of a CrossFitter's life, and and the attritional nature of CrossFit um, is something that a lot of people don't give due consideration to, and and you do have to spend a lot of time uh, doing rehab and prehab, and a lot of time on 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 massage tables. Um, so it's a uh, it, so I was I had mixed feelings, and then I saw this guy that we hired on the gym floor at UFIT doing his stuff, and I thought, man, there are some really interesting things for CrossFit. And we looked at it more, and and uh, we we then hired another couple of CrossFitters, and we decided uh, that okay, there seems to be a trend in the industry. We'd like to uh, get into CrossFit, and 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 then so we decided to open uh, CrossFit Bookatima, uh, which was our second business, which we opened in. Uh, uh, August, September in 2014. And, uh, that, uh, has a community of about 180, 190 now. And, and, uh, in fact, I think in Asia, we had the highest number of participants 
as a group of any box in Asia. So I think we had 110 of our 180 sign up to do the opens, uh, oh, wow. which yeah, That's which good. was yeah, which was uh, a very high. As I say, I think it was the highest in Asia uh, in terms of the number of people who uh, from any one box who who took on the opens uh, in 2016. So that was. Uh, a good thing. And then our other, the sister box, CrossFit uh, Tanjong Paga, was the one that went down to uh, Wollongong uh, and got 20th. So I, 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 I'm of the opinion that CrossFit done properly creates world-class athletes, um, period. And they, they live and breathe uh, a, a system of fitness and health because there's a nutrition component to it as well. That, um, that actually if you, if you manage it effectively and you have good coaches, uh, with you on the journey, you will become extremely, uh, an extremely fit individual. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think, you know, Jamie and I have both done, uh, CrossFit certifications and both coached in CrossFit gyms. And I think seeing the journey come from, you know, busting out Murph in your garage or Fran until you're throwing up, it's come a very long way. And I think that's attributed to people like yourself who have these degrees and they're looking at it from a point of view of not just making yourself hurt for an hour every day, but how do we manage that? How do we take care of the clients? And it's been a really cool journey just to see even members in, the, I think, the both boxes we've both worked in, how they go from that initial you know, excitement, oh, this hurts, um, I've never felt this way before, to actually taking into account things outside of the gym like nutrition and recovery which uh you know i think they're actually more important than the training you're doing itself i think you know i remember saying to a a client of mine when i was when i was doing so prior to the boot camp uh, reversing up a bit down my timeline here i i i was a freelance personal trainer in singapore and and I remember having a conversation with a client one day about nutrition and, 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 and telling her that, you know, obviously our bodies are the sum total of the food that, uh, the nutrition, the food, you know, and, 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 and what we drink, uh, being the nu nu nutrition that we subject our bodies to. Our bodies are the sum total of that. And, and, and I remember her kind of looking at me in a very weird way. And this, 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 this lady, I'm pretty sure she wouldn't be listening to the podcast, but maybe one day she might. But she's a, she's actually one of the most senior lawyers uh, in one of the biggest banks in the world right now, based in in London. And and um, and, uh, and and she looked at me and said, "There's not no, there's more to it than that." <laughs> and I remember saying to her, "Actually, there's not. <laughs> it's you know, we." Uh, we are what we eat, uh, which actually we are what we uh, are able to metabolize, um, yeah. and we're able to, you know, um, and this concept that, it, 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 you know, and Sean, I think you said that it's rest and nutrition are probably more important than the exercise that we do. I think they are. I think nutrition, you know, I. I, I they are so understated. I've read books on sleep and the importance of sleep and the mechanism of sleep itself and what it does in the brain and 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 again how you, how the food that we eat directly affects the performance of the brain. You know, and and this the ketone story now, which I put a TED talk up on Facebook yesterday. There's a scientist in the U.S. who is who's talking about fasting and the and 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 how 
really, really important fasting is uh, using intermittent fasting as a, as a tool for good health and organ sparing and fat mobilize, you know, uh, free fatty acid mobilization in the bloodstream as an energy source. And, um, the, and personally, I, I'm a big fan of um, um, uh, uh, Mark's Daily Apple, which is a, um, a, a website where Mark Sisson, who's a guy who has spearheaded the intermittent fasting kind of movement. Uh, is he from he, the Primal Blueprint? Exactly. Yeah. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the guy. And, and, and Mark Sisson uh, has written a couple of interesting books as well. And, and uh, I'm a big fan of the 18-6, what have you want to manage it, um, daily uh, nutrient intake. So you have a window of either eight hours or six hours where you get your nutrients in and the rest of the time you're fasting. And, and uh, it, 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 it's a, it's an incredible concept and one that has a lot of literature, a lot of very positive research surrounding it, and, and it, it works. It's a... Uh, um, so I've kind of gone a bit off track there, but uh, but yeah, no nutrition and and uh, and rest uh, most very very important. Yeah. I got my. I don't know if you can hear my cat talking to me in the yeah, background. No, I can hear the cat talking. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just. I think the rain, the thunder's just woken him up. So he's he's walking downstairs now. Hopefully he won't be too vocal, but he is a very vocal cat. But yeah. Um, yeah, Darren, everything you've said is absolutely awesome. Um, you know, I know that many people listening to this, many people out there, especially in this Western society, have totally different beliefs. There are blurred information out there about nutrition. There's blurred information about athletes and um, ways of training. It's finding what works for you, finding what fits into your lifestyle, finding what makes you feel good i think that's the biggest thing so being you know from being in the navy doing a lot of boot camps tire flips to getting out and doing crossfit olympic lifting um and now being a physique athlete so i'm actually lifting a lot of weights now and i just competed over the weekend in the imba perth oh, classic right. yeah yeah how'd you go um, how, good how, 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 so i, I finished yeah. um from going from a crossfit very uh, i guess you can say blocky style of body to yeah. physique bodybuilding um at five percent body fat Within a year, um, I placed top five in Perth. Oh, congratulations. Um, so awesome. I'm really happy with that. Uh, but definitely, you know, everyone out there is just trying to find what works for them. And um, the biggest thing is that we just want this podcast to have people like yourself on. We're going to, um, you know, we'll have the UFIT website uh, in the details below. And it's just educating people towards success, lifestyle, fitness, and um, getting some good stuff out there. You know, I, I don't, um, Jamie. That's awesome, and 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 again, congratulations on your success at the uh, at the physique competition, mate. And and I and you're right. For those listening in, <clears throat> they're they're almost polar opposites in terms of the kinds of uh, regimen that you have to put yourself through, and the eating uh, to get down to five percent. Yeah, that that's that's all. Uh, that's that's how you eat, you know, and. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, congratulations on that. And, and I I remember talking to Sean last week, and he said, "Let's get uh, Jamie's physique competition out of the way before we talk." And uh, and uh, and for those who are listening, it's because um, Jamie probably wouldn't be able to contribute much because he'll be he'll be uh, on very low sugars and uh, and have the shakes and. Uh, uh, so that would be uh, very. So I'm glad that we managed to get. It was actually a really, you. Uh, a really cool journey to watch because uh, I remember I reposted what you did last night, Darren, 
And obviously, you know, you've sat down with Michael, my dad, before, and he's run detox centers for, you know, over the last 10 years in Asia. And he's been telling me this stuff for a long time. And I've just, I don't know, maybe being a, a, you know, a teenage adolescent, not wanting to listen to your parents, I pushed it all aside, lived out of the 7-Eleven and ate whatever I wanted and thought, (laughs) if I just train hard enough, I can eat whatever I want. But, you know, since meeting Jamie and, um, implementing uh, implementing intermittent fasting over the last year and he did this as well throughout his comp prep and when he was going to the posing classes with the other competitors they were just all so depleted um, both you know physically mentally lack of energy he's actually been I don't think you've lacked any energy the whole 16 weeks through the competition that's with intermittent fasting all the way way yes fat adapted you know so you're you're fat adapted Jamie which you know you know, Mark Sisson talks about carb dependency and fat adaption, and and those of us who are no longer carb dependent don't get those sugar shakes. We don't get those. Um, we don't get that ghrelin growling at us. That uh, ghrelin being the the hunger hormone. Don't get it growling at us. Uh, you know, if we haven't eaten for three hours, it's um, it's a very liberating place to be in your head because because of the fact that we're living off our fat rather than living off that sugar in our gut. So without wanting to be too conspiracy theorist, because like I am a conspiracy theorist, I think there's a lot of stuff out there that we, uh, that we have question marks on that, that we don't necessarily get the honest answers uh, to. Uh, But interestingly in that uh, Ted talk that, uh, that you've reposted, Sean, um, the, the chat, you know, he's he's a he's a he's a he's a guy that um, is very well respected uh, in his field, um, and he just he, towards the end of the podcast, he he just without being asked a question because it's a TED talk after all, he he offers that why would food companies want us to fast? Because that would just take profits out of their pockets, and mm-hmm. and and if the food, if we're overeating and becoming obese, therefore we're becoming sick. And so, why would the pharmaceutical companies want us to be fasting? Because they want us to be sick. And I mean, the way he said it so matter-of-factly, it, you know, those two concepts. You know, for the, for the listeners out there, what I just said, you ponder that for for a few minutes. Just ponder that what. I'm paraphrasing, so if you want, you can go and look at the TED Talk yourselves. That's on, as as Sean says, it's on his uh, Facebook page. But you know, the, the the food companies want us to overeat, and I think you added to my storyline there, Sean, by saying that apparently we eat three times the the amount of food that we need to be eating. So yeah, we're over- so I saw that in I don't think it. I don't remember what documentary it was, either something like Cowspiracy or Food Matters um, in one of those where they stated, yeah, us as humans, we have more than enough food, more than enough resources to feed the whole planet and we're consuming three times the amount of food, three times the amount of food for the entire planet and it's majority in the Western civilization. So we, even though we're consuming this three times amount of what we need, there's still people starving. Yeah, it's and it's shocking. I mean, it it's really is shocking that these that that we live in such a a world where people are starving. And you know, as you say, in Western society, we've got obesity problems, and yet in 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 a lot of third world countries, they ha- they have issues of starvation. 
it's 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 ridiculous. It's 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 yeah, it's almost horrible, you know. And and then the other the other part of the equation is the pharmaceutical companies who are just laughing all, all the way to the bank. Uh, there was something uh, a friend of mine who actually is in Perth, uh, Chris Knott, and, and he may end up listening to the podcast. Um, you know, he put something up uh, on Facebook uh, about um, about. Uh, uh, the pharmaceutical companies and, and, uh, it, actually, I'm, I'm probably not going to go there. I don't want to get too, uh, uh, too, too into that story, but, um, but yeah. So, uh, but no, yeah. So I talk, I, I do talks to companies and to, and to groups and, and my talks are primarily along the lines of the, the three pinnacles of, of a healthy lifestyle being exercise, nutrition and rest. And uh, we we tend to get a little bit carried away with exercise being the most important thing. And as long as we're exercising, we can eat what we like a bit, what like what you said, Sean. And that's not the case. And and we uh, we also unfortunately get into a situation with fast foods being so cheap and lower income families finding fast getting into that uh, trap of of cheap fast food um, and it's not just limited to lower income families I, as, as I've said earlier I lived uh, lived in Singapore for a long period of time and and in Singapore there are food courts and in these food courts you can get a wide range of foods including Western foods but primarily Asian foods a lot of rice a lot of uh, steamed food uh, uh, fried foods and you can pick up a plate of just about any of these foods for two or three dollars, and 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 so come lunchtime, and all the masses come out of, and there are, you know, Singapore is a large population of primarily white white collar workers. They they stream out of their offices and they head for these food courts where they where they feast on these two and three and four dollar meals and. And they think, and it's a bargain. And Singaporeans, um, they say that Singaporeans have two pastimes. Um, uh, one of them is shopping, um, and the other one I, I don't remember. But shopping is the, oh, sorry, yes, sh- what am I talking about? Shopping, shopping and eating. eating. Yeah, yeah, shopping, shopping <laughs> and eating. And and they're always looking for a bargain. And they'll sit down at these. And, and this this is a country with a lot of wealth. I mean. It has a very high gross domestic product and uh, regarded as one of the more wealthier countries in the world and and yet they're sitting down and eating a lot of this kind of like fast food, this two, three, four dollar meals. And so if a meal can be sold for two, three or four dollars uh, and these people are making money out of it, then the cost to produce that meal is also very low. So if a food has a very low Cost of production, then I'm then I think we can safely assume that it doesn't have high quality. It's not always the case, but when you think about Singapore being a country which is dependent upon imported foods, if you're importing foods and getting foods for very low cost, you can assume that the quality, the nutrient content of that food is also very low, and and so. Um, they are facing issues as well with their food chain in Singapore and, and, and the choices that people make. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of Asia now that they're experiencing that wealth, you know, their parents 
uh, the parents in Asia, I notice a lot going to school with kids in Thailand, the parents have come from, you know, little to nothing and they're spoiling the kids with a lot of Western delights. But the funny thing is even here in Australia, I mean, in my household, we try to eat fairly healthy. I mean, we might have a, a sweet snack on the weekend. And my partner, she has hypothyroidism, so she's always taking her thyroid pills. But when we were in Thailand, she decided to go off the pill and just eat, you know, the fresh produce there. And there was no, no repercussions. Yeah, no yeah. repercussions to her illness. She, you know, lost weight, looked better, had more mental clarity, was feeling better, not on the medication. Um, and it just goes to show that even with, you know, natural foods, the way that we acquire them, the way that we farm them makes a difference, even if you are buying fruits and vegetables, not just fast food. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought that you guys living in Perth there with, uh, you know, you must have access to a lot of uh, locally produced food. Is that correct? Yeah, we are quite lucky. Me and Jaslyn, uh, who is my wife, um, maybe once a month, once a fortnight, we head to the Fremantle uh, Organic Farmers Markets. So we head there and we do the best we can. Uh, we've got a little three-year-old. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing that I just urge people to do is try and buy fresh, try and buy organic. Um, but that's another thing. Like there's just there's cross-contamination uh, happening now with the organic food market. Uh, I think they're putting organic on a lot of things just to get that word stamped on their products. Like, so it's so hard now. Um, and that's why I am a big believer of intermittent fasting, just for that, just for the benefits as well as eating as healthy as possible. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you all the way. And, and I think that we're facing an interesting situation where there are, as you say, a lot of, there is a lot of mislabeling going on. And, and you can imagine if it's a problem in, in Australia, how much of a problem it could be in Thailand as well. And, uh, so, and there are a lot of farms around the place here in Thailand that will, will ha just put organic on their, on their food labeling. And, and I don't know if there are a great deal of, uh, I don't think the authority that deals with the labeling, if there is such an authority, are doing a very good job so you have to be i mean it's just a food is such a minefield i mean i, I read today on social media i saw a story about uh, a, a brand of free-range eggs um in fact sam prentice uh, my friend in secret harbor there she put it up um, on her facebook page that uh, this brand of free-range eggs They've been found to actually not be free range, yeah, and they're well, in trouble. They're in trouble now in, in WA. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think that's that's a big high that we can finish off on. <laughs> um, yeah. No, absolutely. Got so much out of that, Darren. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I know we could talk for maybe two to three hours, um, but we could definitely have you on in the future. I look forward to it, guys. I mean, I've I've enjoyed uh, chatting to you, and I think, as you say, there's a there's a real, uh, there's a big story out there, and and I think for people listening to the podcast, there, there, there are a lot of uh, questions they might have, and uh, so you know, so I mean, if you do uh, come up with a series of questions from people that uh, have have arisen from the podcast today, and you want to put them together in a list, then we can do another podcast and go through and answer the questions. Yeah, we'll definitely anytime. Do that. Uh, once people have listened, they can ask any questions. Uh, they want clarity to or anything new that you might know about that can add value to them. Um, yep. But thanks very much for jumping on, Darren. We really look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you, Sean, and thank you, Jamie. I've really enjoyed it today.
awesome, mate. One Thank day you. we will uh, be in Singapore or Thailand and uh, be able to meet in person for sure. Sounds good. Brilliant. Look forward to it. All right, guys. <laughs> All right, Thank mate. You. Take it easy. Have, you too. Have a great day. Cheers.